I was thinking a little bit this week about how much we learn in school when we're younger that we never use in casual conversation. I don't remember the last time I talked with anybody about the Louisiana Purchase or the Monroe Doctrine, but uh, these were things that were necessary for us to learn. You do remember the Lewis and Clark diorama you made in the fifth grade, though, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? But this stuff is uh, apparently stuff that's important for us to know, but kind of escapes normal use later on in our lives. Um, There's one formula I'll always remember, and that's the Pythagorean theorem, right? That the sum of the square of the sides equals the square of the hypotenuse. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Very good, because there are a lot of times when you need to figure out the length of a hypotenuse, right? Actually, that did come up one time when I was building my barn. And, you know, it's a pole barn, and I needed to get those corner posts just at an exactly the right spot. So it was 36 by 48, so it was 48 feet squared by 36 feet squared. Add those together, and then take the square root, and you can come across the diagonal, and you can make sure it's square, right? Some of you guys were there helping me. Don't you remember when we were doing that? It was uh, critically important thing to remember. Well, I have another essential formula that I hope that you can truthfully remember, and it's that fruit over gifts equals love. Fruit over gifts equals love. That when the fruit of the Spirit is placed in a priority position over the gifts of the Holy Spirit, then the result is a person and ultimately a church of love. And that's what we're going for. Is that right? Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you what? If you have love one for another. So this is the key indicator that we are living in quality relationship with God, is that there's a growing element of love inside of us. Father, we invite your presence to come this morning as we look into your word. It's your word, it's not our word, it's your word. And we pray that you would come in the living power of your Holy Spirit, and cause it to come to life for us so that we can embrace it not only in our minds, but in that secret place, that place we're still getting to know, that, that spirit man inside of us, Lord, that lives in, in reflection of you and lives in, at the impulse of experience with you. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to teach us about yourself and to teach us some truth, some reality that would cause us to be more reflective of, of who your son Jesus really wants to be in the world today. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, this is part three of a one-part message from the book of Joel. It's, uh, so we were through the Bible and we made it uh, the book of Joel. We're kind of working through it. And I got stuck with more information from the book of Joel than I could possibly bring. I thought it was going to then extend to two parts, but looks like we're going to be able to finish it up today. Uh, I'm not going to go through all the context and stuff. If you're newer here, that's something that I like to do when we look at a book for the first time. Just really unpack the context of it and stuff so that we can really do the interpretation of it justice. But then each time, and we'll pick this process up again next, next week, I suppose, <laughs> the Lord wills, is um, we look for a hot spot. Something really that's right in the book itself that is the way of the Lord speaking to us in the here and now. Hi, Brian and Reva and Trinity. Nice to see you. Welcome, Trinity, to the world. Hey, that's nice. 
I assume that's why you're holding a pink blanket. I can't, oh, there she is. All right, fantastic. And the hot spot for us in the book of Joel was Joel 2, 28 through 32. I'd like to invite you to read it aloud with me now. Ready, church? And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the word for us as a church over these last few weeks. And just by way of quick review, the first week was that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit represented a huge, what we call a paradigm shift, a, way, a worldview shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so when the prophet said an afterward, meaning after what? After Christ, after Jesus Christ came and died for us on the cross, rose from the dead, and did all of that for us. After that, he said, I'm going to do something. Afterward, I'll pour out my spirit. And so I'll pour out my spirit on all people, both men and women. And so it shifted from being a selective outpouring of certain individuals to a broad outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all who call on the name of the Lord. So that was huge. And the other aspect of that shift was it shifted from an occasional outpouring of the Holy Spirit, like in the Old Testament, kind of here and there. We got parting red seas and David and Goliath and kind of things happening to a continuous outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that the church of Jesus Christ is meant to be one that is consistently, constantly caught up in the move of the Holy Spirit. It should not be an occasional or an exceptional thing to encounter the Holy Spirit, but is really meant to be uh, something that we experience all the time. And then last week, I tried to take the opportunity to clarify a misconception that runs pretty wild in certain parts of the church. And the misconception is that being filled with the Holy Spirit is not something that happens, or the misconception is that it is something that happens as a second definite work, and that when you do that, you will always speak in tongues. And that's, um, that's interpreting the Bible backwards. It's a, interpreting the Bible from experience rather than what the Bible clearly, clearly says. And that the, people are, the Bible says that people are actually filled with the Holy Spirit when they're born again, when you come to the place of meeting Christ as your Savior. Jesus said in John 5, or John chapter 3, verse uh, 5, that unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. That's how we're born again. So when you came to Jesus Christ as your Savior, assuming that you have, when you had that conversion time, you were actually filled with the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to wait for a second time, like later on, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, at which time you will speak in tongues, some people say, But in reality, you're filled with the Holy Spirit at conversion, and I hope you, like me, look for repeated encounters with the Holy Spirit. I hope you're not looking for a second time, but anticipating a thousand moments with the Lord when it's just a very exciting, ecstatic time of being in the presence of God in in His Holy Spirit. And it also says about tongues that the gift of tongues is one of almost a couple dozen spiritual gifts that God gives throughout the church, and he gives them, the Bible says, as he wills. Now, I I cherish the fact that God has graced me with the gift of tongues. I 
I enjoy praying in tongues. I enjoy that so much. But it doesn't make me better than anybody else. It's by God's grace that he puts these gifts out in the church. And the fact that I have the gift of tongues and you have a gift of mercy, I'll tell you what, when we go to India, you're a lot more useful in the hands of the Lord (laughs) than I am standing there praying in tongues somewhere. You know what I mean? I mean, so it would seem. Actually, if we each use our gifts according to the direction of the Lord, we're making equally valid contributions to the work of the kingdom. So I just wanted to take some time to clarify that last week. And today, what I'd like to do to finish up our our current conversation about the Holy Spirit from Joel is I want to share with you what I believe to be the primary purpose, the primary purpose for God pouring out His Holy Spirit on the church in the first place. kind of looks like this. And the primary purpose of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church was not spiritual gifts. That was not the primary purpose. That was an important purpose, but it was not the primary purpose. And I think, if you know me, you know that I love to see the manifestation of of the gifts of the Spirit. And they can be the... The, the gifts like teaching and administration and mercy and generosity and these kind of spiritual gifts. Or they can be tongues and interpretation and healing and faith and miracles. I mean, I love it when it's on. And so I'm not saying anything negative about spiritual gifts per se in saying this. I'm just saying that that was not the primary reason that God poured out the Holy Spirit on the church. Because the Bible says so. And uh, so what does the Bible say the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit being poured out in the church is? Well, to understand that, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Now, if you're newer to the Bible, um, the Gospel of John is is in the back half called the New Testament. The first four books of the New Testament are called Gospels, which means good news. And so it starts Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, so that's the the John you're looking for. If there's a number in front of it, like one, two, or three, you're in the wrong John, all right? So you want to, I didn't mean it quite that way, but you want to move back to the Gospel of John. And then you're looking for chapter 14, which I'm pretty sure if you have a Bible, you know what a 14 looks like, okay? So in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking, he's coming to the end of his earthly ministry, He's getting ready to die on the cross and to to rise from the dead and ascend to heaven. And so he's saying something really important to his disciples in that, I'm getting ready to leave you. I'm not going to be here much longer, he says. And so that's the kind of the framework of what it is that he's about to say. And let's start in verse 15. And remember, we're looking for the answer to the question, why did God pour out his Holy Spirit on the church primarily? And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. So he says, I'm going, but it's all right that I go, because when I go, the Father is going to release the Holy Spirit out onto the church. It says, the world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, John does this work in his gospel where he calls the world, what he means by the world in every case, 
are, are people who don't know Christ as Savior, who haven't come to the place of knowing Christ. And so he says, the world isn't going to understand you when you talk about your relationship with the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, don't be surprised if when you go to work and say, oh man, it was on with me and the Holy Spirit, people are going, you know, scratching their heads. Because the world can't see them. And the only way we can see the Holy Spirit is by being born again. Is by entering into that saving relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. But look, he says, For He lives with you and will be in you. So the purpose of pouring out the Holy Spirit on the church was so that, was so that He would be in you, so that He would indwell you. That the Holy Spirit isn't something separate, something like, and we do say, come Holy Spirit, but in reality we mean, come Lord and just be the Holy Spirit here among us as you dwell in us as individuals and as a people. And then he says the big thing here, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. I'm not going to leave you fatherless. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He's saying it's important that I go away to do the redemptive work on the cross for you. But as I do that, I'm not going to leave you alone. But if you keep reading, before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. So in other words, he's saying to his disciples, we have this intimate relationship. You are my disciples. I am your master. I am your Lord. I am your teacher, he says. But I'm not going to be able to be that physically anymore. But... I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to do what? To maintain that intimate relationship between you and God the Father. That the primary purpose of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was not to release gifts. That's an important purpose. But the primary purpose of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was to maintain in us the integrity of a personal relationship with God the Father. Otherwise, this thing just devolves down into a religion that doesn't have any meaning or any power in it. And if you keep reading on, he says, On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. We are somehow mysteriously being included in the relationship of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who aren't aren't three but one, which still blows my mind. I'm going to be, I've told you before, if you're looking for me in heaven, I'm going to be the guy with the big red spot on my forehead. Because all these things that I don't understand, when I see them, I'm going to go, oh yeah. And the Bible says, now we see through a glass dimly, then we'll see face to face. But in the reality of this relationship, this perfect, unified relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Lord's including us in there. And he's saying, I'm in the Father, Father's in me, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, so y'all can be in us. So we can have this intimate relationship. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. This is all about the love of the Father. And I too will love him and show myself to him. So that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, was primarily done so that we would never be without the presence of God. Never. Not just in the gathering where we experience the manifest presence, but the quiet, individual, intimate, dynamic presence of the Lord. That's the primary purpose. You know, when a person encounters the Lord as their Savior, 
there are really a number of things that happen. The first is that they're saved. You're born again. You're born again. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. So you, you can't be saved without encountering the Holy Spirit. So this teaching that you meet Jesus here and the Holy Spirit here later can't be true because you're saved by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy, the Holy Spirit is there to bring about your conversion, to, to, to be at the birth, if you will, to call you into the kingdom. Does that make sense? So that you encounter the Holy Spirit at the point that you say yes to Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, uh, among the other things that happen is that there is a release of something called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5, and 23, it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And these are nine elements of one fruit. Make sure you get this. That these are nine elements of one fruit. There is only one fruit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. It does not say the fruits of the Spirit are. It says the fruit of the Spirit is. And so if you can imagine an apple and cut it open and you can see a seed, and you can see a core, and you can see a pulp, and you can see skin, and you can see a stem. And I reckon if you were a botanist, you could break it down and easily into nine different elements, but it's just one fruit, yes? It's just one fruit. And so when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, beloved, listen, that that's something that all of us are meant to demonstrate all of. We can't say, you know, that I'm not going to be kind because that's not my fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. No, that's not. No, all of the nine are meant to emerge from us as one fruit. And it comes as a fruit of the Spirit. So that as we have encounter with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, as you worship Him, as you revel in His Word, as you pray, as you serve Him, and you're living in the dynamic reality of the Holy Spirit, this fruit will emerge. You know, an apple tree can't help but produce fruit if all the other conditions are right. I don't think an apple tree really thinks about producing fruit. It doesn't seem to work. I've never seen an apple tree out there going like, you know, trying to squish apples out of its branches it just seems to happen, right? Because it's a natural result of being in a healthy relationship with the earth. Well, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He said, nobody can bear fruit except through me. Apart from me, he says, you'll bear no fruit. But if you're in me, you'll bear fruit. So that as you attend to these things of your relationship with God, the fruit of the Spirit will emerge. And the first element of the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So that while we want to see all nine of these things emerge over time, the first thing we should be looking for as evidence that we are filled with the Holy Spirit is what? Is love. Are you gaining a love? Are you gaining a love for God? Are you gaining a love for people, the church, the brothers and sisters? Are you gaining a love for the people of the world? Has, is, is something changing inside of the affections of your heart that you would call love. 
And uh, again, since this is singular, it means every believer will exhibit all of these. By comparison, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are plural. And if you read in Romans 12, and if you read in 1 Corinthians 12, and a few other spots in the New Testament, it will tell you what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are. Now, by gifts of the Holy Spirit, we mean supernatural abilities that God puts inside of us that we can't do without Him. So if you're learning anything right now, it's not because of my own strength, but it's because of a gift of teaching, that's one of the gifts, that's released by the Holy Spirit. So you're hearing things from God, not because I'm standing between you and God, but just because I'm functioning as a person who's functioning in the power of the Holy Spirit by the gift of teaching. And there are lots of other gifts, as I mentioned. There's administration and leadership and mercy and uh, giving, which is a form of generosity and service, helps. You know, some of you, you, you have the gift of helps. And so when you break down these chairs after a service, it's not just about helping out. It's about a love rendered to God because that's, a, that's as valid a gift as any other gift. And then you have the, you know, it's kind of the more dramatic gifts like tongues and interpretation and healing and faith and miracles. But my point is, is that there are a couple of dozen of these gifts and every believer doesn't have all of them. The Bible says that God puts these gifts in the body in 1 Corinthians 12 according to his will, the way he wants them. And so he's very insistent that we should never look at each other and compare ourselves to each other according to our gifting because these are not gifts that are earned, but these are gifts that are given by the grace and will of God. And so the church is the strongest when everybody settles into that and, and follows God according to their gifting. So you can say, I don't have this gift or I do have that gift. In contrast to the fruit, you can't say, oh, I don't have one of those nine. So there's a relationship between these things, and it lives, it lives like this, really. Salvation comes by the Holy Spirit. By living in relationship with God through His Holy Spirit, we will bear fruit. As we bear fruit, then, the gifts are released to us. And I want you to think about this. If, God, if spiritual gifts are God releasing his gifts, releasing his power to the world, to the church, then I would think that he would want to entrust those to people who were beginning to bear fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because trying to exercise these gifts outside of the fruit sounds dangerous on the surface, doesn't it? So as we grow in the fruit of the Spirit, we will also grow in the expression of the gifts of the Spirit. But my point for today, really, is, is you know, kind of an extension of last week's message that, that love, the first element, the first emergence of the fruit of the Spirit, is over the gifts of the Spirit. That until there's love, the, that, that the fruit of the Spirit is greater than the gifts of the Spirit that God poured out his spirit on the church so that we could have a relationship with him, the first result of that relationship is fruit of the spirit. The first element of the fruit of the spirit is love. And without love, the Bible says that the gifts of the spirit are meaningless. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13 
And, and you'll see that. That's also in the back part of your Bible, you guys. 1 Corinthians 13. And Paul's talking about spiritual gifts here. He's talking about tongues and prophecy and, and um, giving. And in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I don't do it in love, it's useless. It's, I'm just making noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have a faith that can move mountains, that's the spiritual gift of faith, but I have not love, he says, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. I mean, could it be any clearer than that? That, that love, and forgive me for using this word, but love trumps gifts, Right? I feel that we may have lost another word to popular culture, but love trumps the gifts. All right? So the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a second definite work of the Holy Spirit as evidenced by speaking in tongues cannot be true. Because the question from there is, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit as evidenced by speaking in tongues? That's exactly the wrong question. The right question is, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit as evidenced by speaking in love? Because Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have, if you speak in tongues. By this shall all men know you are in relationship with me if you have love. That would be the primary emergent element of the fruit of the Spirit. And I think it's critical that we, we get hold of that. So I, I think it's just amazing that God wants to bear this fruit in us. That he wants to work in us in such a way that, that the hard drive of our character changes. Over to love, joy, peace. That sounds alright. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. I was reflecting on that list this week, and I'm a person who has such a conservative view of the Scripture that I believe that the list, the order of, of lists in the Bible is also inspired, that it's not like just mishmash. But when we find a list, that there's a sequential element to it. And so that when you look at this emergence of the fruit of the Spirit, it starts with love. And as love comes, there'll be joy. And peace and patience. And then you get to the end, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's really the, the reflection of a more mature believer, right? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of glad that self-control is on the end of that one. <laughs> but it is, but do you see what I mean? That as we mature, true, that our, ultimately he gets control of us. He gets control of us. I'm just so grateful to God that I have no interest in, in many of the things that I was interested in or struggled with as a younger man. And it's because of the fruit of the Spirit in emerging measure. I haven't worked hard at it as much as I have worked hard to be in relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then these things have come 
as a gradual but natural result. So have some patience with yourself if you're looking at that list and going, I'm not that. If they're toward the end of the list, then just move back toward where you are and just begin reveling in your relationship with God and letting the emergence of the fruit come according to time and circumstances. God wills it. But live in that fruit. I mean, I mean, how many of you like me are just so grateful that your character has been redefined from before? I, I mean, we're just different, aren't we? I'm not the person I was scheduled to be, you know? The line from where I started doesn't go here. And I'm so grateful to God that it was by his Holy Spirit, not by we really trying hard. I mean, I've made my effort, of course, with the Lord. But that hasn't been the reason that the line didn't that the line came here and not where it looked like it should go. It's been by the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Now, a couple things about the fruit of the Spirit that I want to make sure you get hold of. And the first one is that no one does them perfectly. I mean, it's a wonderful list, isn't it? No one does them perfectly. So we have to give ourselves and others grace when it doesn't happen. I mean, Jesus spent a lot of time talking about forgiving each other, right? Well, if we were all doing the fruit of the Spirit perfectly, there'd be nothing to forgive, right? In reality, no one does them perfectly. So give others grace for that and give yourself grace for that as well. And also... No one does these elements of the fruit of the Spirit apart from dynamic encounter with the Holy Spirit. It's not about just trying harder. It's about, you know, the Bible says in Hebrews 4, work hard to enter into the Sabbath rest of the Lord. So the the work that we're to do is to not to try hard to bear fruit. The work we're to do is to work hard to be in relationship with the Lord in the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. Because the world's trying to strip that from you all the time, right? But you have power because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. So let's focus uh, just for a minute on this love thing because it's the first element that emerges as the fruit of the Holy Spirit becomes greater in our lives. This love thing. For the fruit of the Spirit is love. We could do lots of definitions about love But I think that for the purposes of this morning, I just want to affirm that love is more than a feeling, okay? Love is more than a feeling. And uh, it's it's really always evidenced by action. In John 15, 13, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that he does what? He lays down his life for his friends. So Jesus didn't come and just like walk around going, I just really love you guys. I I can't do anything for you. I won't do anything for you. I have this feeling of affection and love for you all. It says, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That there was a giving. And Jesus laid down his life for us, both for the redemptive work that was required on the cross, but also as a model for us, that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord. In Romans 5.8, the Bible says, For God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
that God demonstrates his love. I mean, God isn't just somewhere going, oh, those poor people, they've gone so astray, I just miss them so much. I, I just have this feeling of love. No, he demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. James said, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And so this love that we're talking about is a love that we express. It's a love that we act out. And everybody does it a little bit differently. Have you noticed this? Everybody expresses the love that God puts inside of them a little bit differently. 20 years ago, Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages, in which he said that that the way people love is different from one another, but can be broadly categorized by by five, five ways or five languages of love that he called. And the first one was words. Some of you are very very easily tell somebody you love them, right? It just flows. You, you feel it, and so you tell them. Others of you have, that doesn't come naturally. Could be for a variety of reasons. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but my dad never told me he loved me until he was very old and getting ready to die, actually, and then we began to exchange that. And, I mean, dads in the 60s, they just weren't all touchy-feely. I love you, son, Right? I mean, if you ever heard an I'm proud of you, it's like, what just happened? Did the... Remember? You remember? Some of you are younger, and you're, you're more the recipient of, uh, of the renaissance that's occurred in our culture that says, let's, let's tell the people we love that we love them. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And now broadly we say, hey, I love you, right? You know, when guys say we love you to each other, it's, hey, hey Tim, I love you. You know, it's all sort of conditioned with... Machismo. Hey, love you, man. Love you. Right? We're getting there. We're getting there. But it's an expression of words. Another language is service. Some people love with their hands and that they just, they'll do things for you. And in having you over for a meal, in making something for you, in helping you fix something, there's some act of service that they do that's their natural sort of default love language. They may not be a person who's all flowery with the words, but they're there when you need them, right? You're there when you need them. It's kind of the Martha figure in the New Testament. And some of you may not know there's this place where these two sisters lived, Mary and Martha. They lived in the town of Bethany. And there was one day when Jesus showed up with his whole entourage, pretty much unannounced. Martha heads for the kitchen and starts making sandwiches, right? Because there's all these people here in the house, of course. That's how she loved. Well, she got a little miffed about this because her sister Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, adoring him. And so she came out and she said to Jesus, Jesus, can't you tell her to help me? And Jesus said, no, I won't tell her to help, help you because Mary is here and Mary has chosen what is better for Mary because that's her love language. He never told her not to make the sandwich, Martha not to make the sandwiches. So Martha goes back by implication, goes back into the kitchen, makes the sandwiches, comes and slams them down on the table and says, here's your sandwiches. Why don't you get on with your worship service here? 
That was a growing moment for Martha because we see in the Gospel of Luke that later on then when all these same people were together, it says two words about Martha. It says Martha served. Martha served. Martha understood through that exchange that that's her love language. That's how she expresses love. She's not going to sit and go, ooh, Jesus. She's going to say, point me toward the homeless. Send me somewhere where I where my hands can do something. Show me somebody in our fellowship. I'm married to Martha. I am married to a Martha. Her primary love language are acts of service. Some of you have been beneficiaries of this. And this is her primary love language. And her secondary love language is generosity. She's constantly giving our stuff away. Her car right now is full of stuff for the Salvation Army, and it's, it's always full of stuff. I mean, i got to be careful how long I sit in one place <laughs> for fear she will give me away. I did find her dusting me one day. This is, this is her love language. My love language is words and affection. I love to get my hands on people, and just when I hug you, there's nothing untoward about it. It's, I just want you to know that I love you, that I'm glad you're here, and that you matter to me. And so Karen and I are wired pretty differently in our love languages. If you look up there and you see time, time is one way that people love. They'll just show up and they'll just give you time. They'll just be there for you. And that's their way of saying that they love you. Affection is one. You know, that whole, let's just touch you let's just i just want you to know in appropriate ways of course that i love you as a brother or as a sister in christ i love you and then generosity some people express their love by giving stuff away and they may or may not be good at talking about why they do it but when they do it then they experience an expression of love so you could probably find yourself up there somewhere yeah and what Chapman says you should do is pick a primary and a secondary language. That, and these are the things that come naturally to you. Because in reality, we all do all five to some extent. Just some are less intentional. What are, you know, what, what's your style when you're not thinking about it? When you're not thinking about expressing your love, it just comes automatically. Now, there are a couple things about this. Remember, not everybody loves the way you do. And so we've we got to be careful about comparing, again, each other because they don't love the way that you love. And I think it's also essential to, to really allow and esteem people to love according to their own language. You know, just encourage them. That's great. Don't try to change them. Just encourage them in whatever expressions of love you see. And I think it's also helpful to try to love one another according to their primary way of loving, even if it's not yours. This is especially true in a marriage. And so if, you're, if, if your love language is different than your spouse's, then it's important to be intentional about loving them according to their language. And, and, and even if it requires some effort on your part, your communication will be a lot greater. Your relationship will be fantastic. One more thing about love is that we all got to remember that while the fruit of the Spirit is love, that love is not always sweet and syrupy. 
There are times when love is hard. There's times when love is hard, and you take a posture of love with somebody that's hard, and you become very unpopular. But you're doing it because you love them. I mean, when Jesus was saying things to the Pharisees, like, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You're all clean on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. That was a hard word. Let me ask you this. Was Jesus loving them or hating them? He was loving them. That was their only hope, was to hear something like that. Did Jesus become popular with them or unpopular? Unpopular. Because he took that position of love. When Paul was correcting the Corinthians for their immoral lifestyle. Was he loving them or hating them? He was loving them. So while it's always nicer when we have the love moment that's uh, encouraging and sweet and syrupy, there are times when love is necessarily confrontational. And we've got to understand that. So how do I get this love? Well, you get this love by being loved by the Father. And, um, you know, there's a scripture in 1 John chapter 3 that says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the children of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. There's something very powerful about a father's love with his child, isn't there? Something very powerful. There's something very destructive when it isn't there. And I see Christians all the time trying to do this work of being Christians outside of the dynamic of the Father's love, and it's tough. It's tough. You're trying with all your might, and you don't feel like you're making any progress. Well, there's a dynamic of the Father's love that I believe God is waiting to show you that will plant His love inside of you, and then you can live from that place of love. It's something that he puts inside of you in the context of a loving relationship with him. Not a legalistic relationship. Not an obligation or duty-driven relationship. But a relationship of love. Behold what manner of love the Father has given us that we should be called his sons, called his daughters. That's really the incredible dynamic of, I think many people need to move into that realm of God's love and the freedom that it, that it really, really brings. I, I met a remarkable young man this week. And he's a young man, I think early 20s. He's from Honduras. And it was my, I never met him before Wednesday. And as I was meeting him and he came back into my office and we talked, I realized within minutes that this was a young man who was truly filled with the Holy Spirit. Truly filled with the Holy Spirit. He didn't speak in tongues for me. He didn't part the sea for me. But I asked him, I asked him, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do? And man, this look came over his face. It was, his countenance just became so bright. And he said, I don't know, I just want to love people. And it was so real and so authentic, the way he said it. And I asked him again, like, but vocationally, what do you want to do with your life? And he goes, I don't know. I, I just want to love people. 
And it was such an incredible manifestation of the Holy Spirit right there in front of me. It was so engaging and so encouraging and so admirable and so lovely to see that level of fruit maturity in such a young man. I just hope that that's something that inspires you, that, you know, take the gas pedal off all this gift stuff for a second and check the fruit. Check the fruit, man. Check the fruit. And ask yourself the question, Lord, what do I, what's going on with me that would increase my capacity to experience your love? What really needs to happen? Father, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the clarity of it. Um, I thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit here this morning. And uh, we love it when you come loud, Lord. We love, we love it. We love it when you come in ways that cause us to stretch our thinking, that are outside of the box ways, that cause us to search the scriptures to make sure it's you. All this stuff, Lord. We love it when you come and heal our sick and set the prisoners free. We love it when it's loud, when it's, when it's just a celebration of the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. But we also love it, Lord, when you come in the tender expression of your kindness and love toward us as our Father. And Lord, none of us had a perfect Father. Some of us had good fathers. Some of us didn't. None of us had a Father like you. And so we come into your presence, Lord, this morning, and we invite your Holy Spirit to come and to bring the element of your goodness to us, Lord. The goodness of your love and your grace, your mercy, your desire for us, Lord. That you're reaching out to us not because you have to, but because you want to. That you have called us worthy by the worth of the blood of your own son, Jesus. And so I just ask you to come, Lord, and indeed heal our sick and set our prisoners free. Do all of those things, Lord. But more than anything, I just pray that you'll come in that present manifestation of the Father's love for us. And pour yourself out on each of us, Father. We invite you to come in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, I want to invite you to stand with me and if we could have some prayer ministry people, those of you who have been trained to pray, come on up and make yourselves available to pray for people who may have a need. And you can come to these people for anything. Just come on up and they'll ask you a question or two and then you'll start praying. They'll start praying for you. So just as we worship, feel free to come. As always at the vineyard, feel free to come. If you're stirred, uh, come up close. Kneel, sit, stand. Just follow the stirring of your heart today. You just want to be embraced by the love of the Father.